new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, joined as always by College Basketball's Assist King, Jerry Meyer. And Jerry, we've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got another exciting matchup between Georgia and Kentucky last night. You talked about a coach with a lost identity in the Lone Star State. We've got a player of the year candidate that we haven't talked about, but last week... We talked about the best number five in college basketball history, and so we did a bit of research, thanks uh, to somebody from ESPN who basically wrote an article, the best college basketball players at every number in history, so I didn't have to do too much work. So uh, we've, got, we've got a few options for you, so we're going to start right there. So off the top, I have to start with John Havlicek, because I know he's a player that you like. He's an option. We've got R.J. Barrett. Lamar Odom from Rhode Island, I think, is an underrated college basketball player. Darren Williams, almost national champ at Illinois. And Ty Lawson and Jalen Rose and Jason Kidd. So which of these guys stand out to you as the best number five of all time? Well, it's a tough one uh, because, you know, it's so easy for me to fuse their NBA careers with their college. So, I mean, you know, fun fact, I actually coached against Lamar Odom. When I was an assistant at Vanderbilt, we played Rhode Island. And um, we lost, and he was phenomenal. <laughs> we couldn't do anything about him. Um, so I, I, he's up there with me. I thought Marcus Pfizer was one of the most intimidating, tough, really good college big men. I mean, he was a terror. Tell you the I truth, I know nothing about him because I was so young. Yeah, he was a baller. John Havlicek, that's almost my name. My dad wanted to name me John Havlicek Meyer, but my mom would not let him. So I have a connection <laughs> there. And that's I, a sick story. Um, and then Jason Kidd, Jalen Rose, y'all know who, how good they are. I mean, for a best, dude, I don't know. That's It's such a hard call. But uh, Lamar Oldham, I mean, I guess because I saw him firsthand sitting on the sideline trying to beat him. Uh, that guy was phenomenal. I college. think people don't understand like how good because he was he in college. Yeah. <laughs> He was not the old uh, Lamar Odom. Uh, You know, for older people like me who can remember him in college and early in his NBA career, he's a very different player. He certainly put on weight and became, you know, pretty much, you know, know, a traditional four-man. He could obviously spread the court. He could play face-up, which, you you know, you have to do that to play the four these days. And, um, but yeah, when he first got into the league, people thought he was going to be the next Magic Johnson. Yeah, I mean his when I when I found out that he was like a star in college, I went back looked at the highlights and it was just like whoa. Yeah, it was a little Penny Hardaway ish. Yeah, he had a little Penny to him. You know, everyone thought he was you know that future, that future you know really tall point guard type that Magic brought in. You know, brought that prototype in, and man, we're, now we're really starting to see it. I mean, I'm watching Doncic's running the point, Ben Simmons is running the point. 
Tim Hardaway. Point guards are not point guards in the NBA. <laughs> That's what I'm figuring out. It's so funny. We try to label these guys when they're in high school. Is he really a point guard? Is he a true? Who cares? Who cares? Because if he if he is a true point guard, he won't be playing in the NBA. <laughs> you know, it's all combo guards and you know so-called labeled shooting guards, small forwards. Even some labeled power forwards are now the point guards of modern NBA. I mean, that springiness combined with court vision is something you can't measure. Talking about like what Lamar Odom had? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was ridiculous, man. I mean, six nine handles the ball better than anyone else on the court. Had speed back then. And, yeah, I mean, just think Magic Johnson. That's all I can say. So from one dynamic guy with a vision to another, last night Anthony Edwards in Georgia – Went, went into Kentucky to play the Wildcats. And I know you watched that game, and mm-hmm. I know you got thoughts, so I'm going to turn it over to you. You know, What, what were your yeah. big takeaways? Well, let's start with the negative, Anthony Edwards. I mean, just – and he looked like he didn't want to be out there. <laughs> and I, like, watched him like a hawk, was rewind, rewinding plays. Uh, like, I was giving it a scouting effort. And, well, I don't know what the deal is, but – I mean, he only did a little, you know, he had some moments in the second half where he showed some energy. But I don't know. I was just really disappointed in the scheme. They, did, they didn't do much for him uh, to get him open. Uh, he came off one curl screen early in the game, and they posted him once. I mean, if, if Anthony doesn't want to use a lot of energy, I would post him up more. I mean, he had a height advantage on all the Kentucky guards. And also, kind of, Emmanuel quickly deserves a lot of credit. He did a great job guarding him. You almost got the feel of – man, he's really, really guarding me, and we don't really have anything to do to get me open. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't see a, a emphasis. Now, later in the second half, he came off some screens uh, with a purpose, but um, it's almost like he kind of gave up a little bit. You know, have you seen that in players before? Like, as soon as it gets tough, and it's maybe not just Anthony, it might be the coach, it might be the whole scheme. Like, we're not ready for this. You know, we expected you to just be able to make a little V-cut and get open. And quickly was really doing a great job keeping him from getting the ball. So a little disappointed in Edwards. Those are my thoughts. And then you can jump in. Then I can get to the positive with Kentucky. Well, I, you know, the thing that stood out to me from Edwards, just one trip to the line. You know, a guy he wasn't, with... He wasn't, he wasn't doing nothing, man. <laughs> he spent most of the game just standing behind the three-point line. Uh, what do you have, one rebound, you know, five turnovers, two or three assists? You know, obviously he's very talented, and, and I'm not trying to ha- – I, I am just hating on his performance in this one game. Obviously he's a great talent. He's going to be a top pick, but you heard it from Jimmy Dykes during the game too. I mean, just – he exhibited in this Kentucky game all the question marks about him. So it, I, I know it did not help him in the standings with uh, general managers and NBA scouts. All right, so so let's let's go over to the positive then from Kentucky, and and that all starts with the point guard Ashton Hagens. Yeah, I, I think he's phenomenal. And what what I sense is Calipari fully believes in him. You know, you shared something with me before the show that Calipari said he was the best guard in the country. It doesn't surprise me he's saying that because he's coaching him like he is. He's turning the team over to him. They you know even said in one of the timeouts, he said Ashton, you got the timeout. You know, you do the talking, but so he's oh, get, he really? he, yeah, he trusts Hagens, and you just see Hagens flourishing, and he just does so much. I mean, when he was on Edwards, he was locked in on him. Uh, he can defend. He can defend multiple positions. I don't know that I've ever seen a point guard cut through a zone. Now they Georgia didn't do it every time, 
but at least twice that I that I for sure saw when Hagen's cut through the lane to go down to the baseline without the ball. Without the ball, one of the defenders on the top of the zone followed him, and they reconfigured and reshaped because they wanted to have a man on him. Uh, just so that just point being, what an impact by a point guard! Like I've never seen that. Um, Especially with someone who's not a huge three-point threat. Right, but he does everything. Nick Richards needs to send him a thank-you note every single night. (laughs) I mean, Hagen's is the big reason Richards has flourished. I mean, he gives him the ball with timing. He's always looking for him. He's great on that little lob play uh, where he rubs off the screen up top. And, And Nick's looking great. I think Hagen's and him are feeding off each other. I think they're helping each other be better. Then I think Hagen's now has the confidence to be more of an offensive scoring threat because he's feeling good, you know. 23 points And last he rebounds, night. he defends. He had a steal on the baseline late in the second half that was just ridiculous where he's making up for other people. So, yeah, I'm, I'm way on team Ashton Hagen's, man. This guy is a really, really uh, good point guard. And then one thing I'd like to throw in there, I thought Jimmy Dykes had a great line on Nick Richards, and I think it totally encapsulates, at least in my thinking, what's happened with him. I'm coming close to quoting uh, Jimmy Dykes here, but he is playing out in front of the play. His first couple years, he was playing behind the play, and that's a big thing I've noticed. Richards is seeking out play. I think E.J. Montgomery is still behind the play, like if you compare the two. And I don't know what it was in Richards that flipped the switch. And to be honest, I was a little skeptical when I first saw Kentucky Twitter blowing up. Nick Richards is here. He's our guy. You know, it's like one game. But Nick's been pretty consistent. So I'm really happy for Nick Richards. Has a lot of talent. I mean, I don't know why he isn't on, you know, mock drafts at this point. I mean, looks like NBA center to me. Well, you know, first off, the difference between Richards and Montgomery, it shows up. Cal knows it. You know, Richards played twice as many oh, minutes, yeah. twice as many minutes as Montgomery. It's, it's, night and it's, it's pretty obvious. Now, Montgomery hit a couple big jumpers in the second half. But, yeah, when it gets to rebounding, defending, doing all the things a big guy's got to do, um, Richards is way out in front right now. Yeah, when it comes to a coach like Cal, the minutes don't lie. And, and it tells you how much a coach True. trusts his players. That's a great way to put it. I mean, if you trust a coach and you think he knows what he's doing, then just look at the minutes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a strong philosophy right there. Yeah, and before we move on from Kentucky, the last thing I do want to bring up with you, just in terms of Hagen's, is at the beginning of the season, many people, myself included, kind of thought that you know they, they were so weak from the three-point line that you know their offense, the key to their offense, was going to be Nate Sestina. Nate Sestina barely played last night. I think he had like 12, 13 minutes. And it was Hagen's who was doing all the unlocking, and not from the three-point line, but it was his court vision and his dynamic movement yeah. that changed the game. You, you can be successful and have a you know, not-superior three-point shooting team, and if a team can do that, I think it is Kentucky because of their dynamic guards. And, you know, they can make some shots. Sestina just struggles so much on defense. I think uh, Johnny Jawang, his play, uh, Keon Brooks. I think Kentucky's finding two guys they feel really good about coming off the bench. We might see Brooks start eating into uh, the minutes on the front court. Very interesting. All right, so so from today's college basketball stars to tomorrow's, on Monday, you had the opportunity to carefully watch the Hoops Hall Classic, which was uh, high school games televised on ESPN, and, and there are a couple guys that really stood out to you. 
Well, yes. Well, caught my. I have some comments. I got four guys from one, Cade Cunningham. Man, he just becomes more and more impressive every time you watch him. His defense on Sharif Cooper, who's a five-star point guard who's going to Auburn, was phenomenal. He had a phenomenal defensive showing this time last year against Cole Anthony. So we're talking, you know, we're talking about point guards in the NBA. Cade Cunningham's your guy, like 6'7", can do it all. Um, it's a good time in Stillwater between say the, what it's a really good time to be a, uh, an Oklahoma State fan between Cade Cunningham oh, coming sure. and you know on the, on the football side they've got you know all their stars coming yeah. back. Well, Cade Cunningham's going to be very fun for them to watch. Thought Trevor Kills and Jeremy Roach are great. Jeremy Roach um, is signed with Duke, five star point guard. I, I would feel good about him coming in and taking over the point guard position. If I was a Duke fan, I was impressed with his play, just the toughness and just good all-around play. And then Trevor Kills, I thought, was exceptional. And a guy who I think will eventually be in the five-star range, he's in that very high four-star range right now, 2021 player who pretty much everyone in the country is recruiting. And then Scotty Barnes. I think Scotty Barnes is a great player. Uh, Florida State-bound, um has so many things he does well, but shooting is not one of them. And it's just a concern for me for as highly ranked as so many people have him. Man, it's tough and he can't score. So, so I don't know. I'm just throwing out a little red flag there. So 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 are we thinking a Kid Gilchrist kind of situation? Because Florida State always has athletes, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the shooting and the playmaking is sometimes a problem. I just there. think it's tough in today's NBA. I'm thinking more NBA. You know, because I assume he's going to be one or two years probably at the most because he has elite defensive skills and he handles the ball and passes well, rebounds. But I'm just saying it's concern. And point main, and guys get better at shooting. Um, and I can go over a ton of examples of that, but it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. You know, like I, I hope because I love the way Scotty Barnes plays. He he does so many things well. He does a lot of old school things. You know, he contributes in so many different ways. And, but man, he, he's got to become more of a threat to shoot the ball. Uh, and when you say, you know, he, he can get better, it's something you mm-hmm. can grow into. You know, when you say that, do you look at a player's form to say that, you know, this is something that can project out? Um, or do you just think that it's something that yeah, you can work on? Great question. That's uh, a tough one. Because, well, you'll hear people say, you know, I like his form. You know, I think he's going to develop into a shooter, and that scares me. I take the opposite view. I'm like, if your form is good right now, then why does your shot suck? <laughs> and what is there that makes us think it's going to be better? I almost would rather a guy have a flaw in his shooting mechanics because then I we can identify a problem, cause and effect. We, you know, we do whatever we need form-wise and then hopefully it gets better. But a lot of it's just repetition, and we've seen great shooters that didn't have great form. Jamal Wilkes, uh, Reggie Miller, I mean, Larry Bird's bringing the ball back behind his you know, ear. Th- those are not traditional sound, you know, taught ways to shoot. 
but those guys could shoot it. It's it's repetition, it's belief, and it's hand-eye coordination, and you don't have to shoot it like they tell you in the textbook. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> get, get that ball in the hole. When you said when you said sometimes you wish that they had a flaw so you could fix it, I, I, that reminded me of my mom growing up when one of my brothers would be sick, and she'd be like, please don't let this be a common cold. Let this be a strep so we can get the Z-Pack and get them on the medication because then yeah. it'll be over. <laughs> so, so, you know, you okay. Yeah, interesting strategy. I know. It's it's it's. It's out of a cold that lingers, huh? But it, but it, it it's really about you know that 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 work ethic and and whether or not you have that form, it's all about whether or not they're going to put it in. So we're going to take a quick break and on the back half, Jerry, I saw you tweet the other day about a coach down in Texas who has lost his identity, and we want to talk about that. We'll be back after the break. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+, Plus. only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, and we're back with the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. And for those of you at home who are thinking, wow, Jerry's insights, they are spectacular. These are revolutionary, changing the way I think about basketball day in, day out. You can ask Jerry questions. We've got a new Twitter handle, at 24-7 Sports CBB Pod. And if you want to ask questions for Jerry Meyer, college basketball's all-time assist king and our philosophizer-in-chief, Hit us up with questions with the hashtag 247CBB, and we will put those questions on the pod. So we're looking forward to hearing uh, from you guys. And But for now, Jerry has his own questions because he's got the questions, he's got the answers. Uh, that's why he's the all-around player. That's why he got those starters minutes. And so, Jerry, you pointed out that down in Texas, Shaka Smart and the Texas Longhorns have lost their identity. You know, I'm going to quote from you. You said, identity is a tough and elusive concept. It is a lost concept for Texas basketball. So to start, what what did you mean when you tweeted that out? Put it this way, VCU, I doubt, is going to lose by 40 to West Virginia when Shaka was at VCU and they were playing Havoc and they were playing his style. There was a certain toughness there because there was a belief and there was a system to play. When he got hired at Texas, I was really excited because I wanted to see Texas play that same style. <clears throat> I thought it'd be a, a nice contrast of you know for the Big Twelve. And it was you know if West Virginia can do it, you know basically they're doing a havoc type thing. You know it's non traditional. You know pressure, um, all that good stuff. A little bit of trapping. Um, they they seem very. I don't know. So I, he gets to Texas and it's like didn't even try it. I thought um, didn't recruit towards you know playing that style. And I just think it's tough because <clears throat> you know I I don't have all the answers on this, but I just know when I think of Texas basketball, I just kind of see an abyss of nothingness right now. 
and it's a mediocrity. What what do you do on offense? What are you doing on defense? It's kind of like they're just out there playing. It hasn't been fun to watch, just to be honest. <clears throat> when I see Texas is playing, I'm not like, oh, man, I want to watch that game. So, I, you know, I guess part of it's selfish because I like that up and down style. I like to see different styles of play. So I like a Virginia out there doing what Tony Bennett's doing. Let's have a team out here doing what Shaka does. Well, they, I don't know. It's like Texas, if they have an identity, it's an anti-identity. It's the we don't play havoc <laughs> identity. Yeah. And it's just a weird kind of psychology, I think. You know, like it just feels very strange to me. Like we're like there's guilt and shame <laughs> because we didn't have the balls, you know, to come in here and run this system. Thought we had to have a bunch of big guys, you know. Man, that's that's speed it up you know when 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 i watched earlier in the season texas against georgetown i was kind of struck by these same like what 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 is this system what's going on yeah. and i was wondering if if the stats bear you know bear out what you mm-hmm. were saying so i looked it up sure enough every single one of the six years shaka was at vcu top 20 in the country in steal percentage that's the number of defensive possessions ending when a steal top 20 every year turnover percentage Number one, three years, top 11, four years. Since he's come to Texas, all five years, including this one, not a single time broke the top 100 in steal percentage, and only this year are they barely top 100 in turnover percentage. You can see the defensive identity is just not there. Right, and you know I think you have to look at recruiting as well. I don't think it's gone great for Texas. And you think about VCU, they had some pros, I mean – <clears throat> they had some really good players, you know, and maybe I'm getting some years mixed up because I know Anthony Grant's there and a lot of coaches are going through the cycle. But, man, Texas kind of missed out on these – a lot of mar- – you know, K- Kentucky's had a heyday recruiting in Texas. Of course, Kansas always does a good job in that state. But I think I think Texas has had some tough recruiting misses. And then I, just, I haven't been able to figure out the identity in their recruiting either, you know, like what exactly – are you so it just seems all lost like you know i don't what's the system what type of guys are we recruiting to play in whatever the system you know maybe i'm barking up the wrong tree but we all can see the numbers it hasn't been good in austin lately it seems that the the result is take take whatever five stars we can get and we'll figure out the system later or a high four stars yeah exactly um and it turns it's kind of felt that way a little bit but it turns out like the only real stars that they're getting are at the center position and then their best players who they're recruiting at the guard position unfortunately have been having injury uh, issues yeah and there's an interesting dynamic I think and it very well might be playing a part here at Texas Uh, you recruit at VCU you're typically I mean he he got some I think a four star here and there but traditionally you're not getting high highly ranked guys so you're getting guys with more of a chip on their shoulder, um, sometimes even a better work ethic, but not always because a lot of these top-ranked players, they're top-ranked because they work. <laughs> they're good, you know. Don't believe all the, the false myths, you know, that you know they, they're all entitled elitist kids or whatever that don't work. I mean, they work, but I don't know, just certain chip on the shoulder and I think more of a willingness to play a crazy style where a five-star is more likely to be like, man, I'm not used to playing this way. You know, like I couldn't see Anthony Edwards playing Havoc. Um, You know, he looked like he was struggling just to play, 
you know, an average speed of game, but, you know, because you have to have a special mentality and a special motor. I also and, wonder and though, like to play that hard, and I just wish Texas would have given it a shot. Well, it's funny that you bring up Anthony Edwards because I feel like sometimes with Edwards, it feels like he's out on an island by himself. Yeah, you know? that's and, what it looked like uh, last night. And so, but when you have a system like Havoc, the whole team's bought in. You yeah, can't do that exactly. without the whole team bought in. That button. feeds into what I was trying to get to. That was that was a very good addition to what I was trying to get at. It, it's a team thing. Guys are moving on a string. If we, they got to trust each other on rotations, got to trust guys to pick up your slack. You know, obviously you're guarding multiple positions. It takes work. You know, big guys have to run, run, run. So you you are asking players to do more than they're used to. So sometimes I wonder if it, if that system maybe is easier to execute at a VCU, and that might have been what Shaka was thinking, or one of the things he was thinking. You know, when Texas went the direction they went, but um, I just think it's unfortunate because I was excited about the whole Shaka to Texas thing. Well, so it, I I don't know if you're aware of this. I imagine you are. There's a not insignificant portion of our office is connected to te- the University of Texas, mm-hmm. and we don't have inside information. But a lot of these people seem to think that Shaka's on the way out, whether it's this year or next year. Yeah. Um, you know, this something this exp- has. I think something has to change. So, you know, if if Shaka yeah, ends meaning up, either him or they start playing better. But yeah, I think he's in a tenuous position. Yeah, so, I totally so, agree so with so that. If, if Shaka ends up, you know, departing from Texas, if, whether it's his choice or the university's choice, a mutual decision, whatever, you know, would you think that he should go to a smaller school so that he can get back to this identity or oh, choose it makes a school? Sense. I mean, he certainly had success at VCU. You know, you know, I don't, you know, it would make sense or go wherever and run what you run. You know, I mean, there's different styles out there. It, I think Havoc is a little drastic for a Power Five, but but is it? You know, like, you know, these smaller schools that run this up-tempo, pressing, full-court defense-type style, you know, we, we're not too shocked when they pull upsets. And we, shouldn't, <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised either. I mean, think about how few years, how – how many years, I should say, I'll put it in the positive, how many years West Virginia has made the tournament since Bob Huggins has gotten to West Virginia? I think they've had success. They've missed, I'm pretty sure, only one year. And and when you talk about a coach of the night, I mean, Bob Huggins has changed his identity to suit mm. to suit his school, and that's you know really a boon to him. And, but yeah. he, you know, at West Virginia has has made this their their calling card, and and even with guys who haven't found success in the NBA, he has found success with the program, and so maybe he can work on the Power Five level. Yeah, well, I think it can. Um, I think one way it works is it energizes and excites the fan base. Um, there, there's a certain energy around that West Virginia program that those fans come in there ready to go to war. <laughs> you know, like, like it's a special intensity, and it's we are going to attack you. It's not like oh, we're playing pack line defense, being all conservative. Don't overhelp. Make sure you stay on the three, which is a very solid, good way to play. But it's kind of fun to watch a team get out there and get after it and play pressure defense. And from a fan perspective, whether it's pack line defense or getting out there with Havoc or full court press like West Virginia, as a fan, knowing what your identity is really changes the way you relate to the team. I agree. It really changes it. There's a malaise, it seems, with the Texas whole basketball operation program. I mean, fans don't seem too fired up. They're struggling. You know, they got to hire McConaughey as what's he, the commissioner of... (laughs) 
I don't know. There's a great title, and it escapes me right now. But, um, yeah, something needs to switch there. And I'm not saying him fires, but they got to start playing. They got to win. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, it's, it's the bottom line is you got to win. Texas basketball. It's not happening, right? Not to the level that the Texas program would like it to happen at. Well, Texas basketball is always behind the eight ball because it just isn't football. And and when when you're stacked with the deck is stacked against you like that, yeah, but things, things I, in order to energize the fan base. The, yeah, but that's an interesting debate too because is it? You can also look at it as an advantage. Look at what Florida Billy Donovan did at Florida. He always talked about. I love being at a football school. One, we got resources. And how does football? I'm not recruiting against the football team. <laughs> I'm trying to get the best basketball. So it can work different ways. There's no reason Texas shouldn't be really good at basketball. I mean, I, I don't see a logical excuse. Well, whether or not whether or not we think that Texas should be good at basketball, they're, they're, they're having a tough time. And, you know, the funny thing is, and I, I keep uh, wanting to move on, but the last thing, they won the NIT last year. And, and, and they keep having these moments where it's like, oh, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. It seems and, similar to their football program yeah. last few years, too, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, I don't so know. So weird thing is, I mean, it's hard to consistently win. And um, I'm not saying Havoc would win for them, but I, I was really looking forward to see it try to be implemented there. Yeah, well, you, you know what else is really hard to consistently do? Lose. It's really hard to lose every single year. And we have Rutgers now this year. Rutgers tonight is playing Iowa, and we're going to talk about Luca Garza in Iowa, but I, I did want to give a quick shout-out because Rutgers, for the first time since 1991, broke into the AP Top 25, and that is just a monumental moment for the, for the program and really exciting for them that, you know what, it, it's important to get on national television for a college basketball program. Rutgers is probably like a bottom three, five college basketball program in the power schools, and so it's really cool for them to see. And, and tonight, they're going up against Iowa, and Iowa, led by Luca Garza, who's on everyone's shortlist for National Player of the Year. And so, Jerry, before we go out, I just wanted to kind of ask you your impressions of Luca Garza, whether, you know, as a high schooler or what you've seen with him since he's gotten to Iowa. Yeah, I, I think, you, you know, he was a low, I mean, very low four-star uh, with his ranking, like right around 100, which, yeah, I think he's definitely outplayed that ranking for sure. Um, now, if you look at NBA-wise, the ranking's probably a little more accurate. It will be interesting to see if he can translate, you know, what he does to the NBA level. If he could play against Michigan every night, then he would be great. <laughs> I feel like every time I, mean, I watch the highlights, man, I've never seen worse post-defense than Michigan played against him. Yeah, I'm going to get too negative and too critical, so let's keep it on Iowa and Garza. Um, great hands, good feet. You worry about his foot speed. That was a concern when ranking him, his overall athleticism. But, you know, he's an example of a guy who stuck around. Was he he's in his – I mean, he might only be a sophomore, right? Look that up, what year he is. You get that feeling he's been around. Um, but his body is in shape. He's a big, strong guy, and he's got hands, and he – he has composure and strength with the basketball, so he doesn't get flustered when he gets in tough spots, and then he can finish with touch. Mm -hmm. You know, this he has that third year, huh? Third year, third year. Okay, that sounds right. Um, because that's a tough thing in post play, and uh, you know, even for guards, when you 
have physical play. Can I play with strength and deal with contact, but then trans, you know, transfer into a player who can score with touch? And he is great at that. And he's great at drawing fouls. Um, very, very good player. You know, I don't know what else to say. Like he's, he's, I think he's a valid candidate for player of the year. There's a lot of good candidates. You know, I was looking through some of them. There's a lot of guys to talk about, but he's definitely one of them. And it will be interesting to see what it looks like at the next level. But he is a he's a kind of a dominant type player right now at the college level. I mean, and when you look at a guy like Luca Garza, who is very smooth in in the way he functions in Iowa's offense and knows what he's doing. Yeah, he they, just, they they know how to utilize him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just seems to me that whether it's in the NBA or whether it's overseas, this is a guy who's going to make money playing basketball oh, for, yeah. for his career, right? Well, like, as long as he doesn't get hurt and he doesn't get tired of playing. I mean, that dude's a Euro star. And I think, he, I think he can play in the NBA. I don't know, you know, will he be the eighth man? Will he be a starter? You know, will he be a... 11th man you know I don't know I mean, I, I mean if any of us knew we would be general managers and winning world championships it, he's a type player that's a really tough call and I think getting in the right context and system for him would be very important but if he becomes a knockdown three-point shooter at NBA length and he's going to play in the NBA he might be a little deficient defensively but he's going to make up for those deficiencies on the offensive end of the court yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of guys you can point to in the NBA who are coming off the bench, who are big men who can just put up put up points on the offensive end. One thing you know about Garza, he's going to compete, and he's going to play physical. He's a good player, and, wh- and whether or not he ends up uh, winning National Player of the Year, it's good to see that the, the race is kind of heating up. There was, a, there was a brief moment when it kind of felt like the National Player of the Year conversation was kind of drying up. People were like not particularly interested in any of the candidates, and now with Garza playing the way he is and Cassius Winston kind of catching a heater, Vernon Carey is doing some stuff, and I, you know, obviously out in Dayton, Obi Toppin is just mm-hmm. continuing to be a dog. So it's, it's nice to see that the National Player of the Year conversation continues used to to grow as the season continues i was gonna i was gonna throw in marcus howard oh yeah just to throw in a name because his numbers are a little ridiculous 43 percent from three and averaging almost 30 a game coming into um, the year people were saying he was like you know a bottom of the second round guy and i was like how like this dude scores if you think yeah, about like not, not a defender if, um, if norris cole could get six years in the league surely marcus yeah, howard can get but six you might years. draft that guy in the second round That's <laughs> you fair. know you know what i'm saying but, uh, yeah, I think he's going to play in the NBA. I do want to say – I want to bring up Peyton Pritchard. Please do. Man, that guy was so clutch um, against uh, Washington. Is there anybody else on that team? Genuine question. On Oregon? Yeah. It, it really uh, seems like Peyton Pritchard passes, rebounds, there, steals, there, scores. I get your point. Well, it's like Ashton Hagenish. There are some players on Oregon, but he is the team. I mean, they lose Peyton Pritchard. Oh my goodness! You know, I mean, they dropped from a three seed to having a ten seed. Having a tough, a tough-minded, tough physical and and skilled point guard who's competitive. Man, I mean, it's hard. It's priceless. You know, what kind of value you going to put on that? You know, um, because it's huge. Uh, But yeah, I've really been impressed with Pritchard's play this year. 
Yeah, if Oregon would just get jerseys that weren't so abhorrent to the eyes, it would be a lot more easy to watch their games. But Peyton Pritchard, absolutely, jersey aside, has been a dog on the court and and well-deserved to be in the conversation for, for National Player of the Year. That's just about going to wrap it up for us, Jerry. You got any parting words? I'm good. All right, yeah, well. For those of you listening at home, really do tweet us at, at 247sportscbbpod. Hit us up with the hashtag 247cbb. Hit those questions to Jerry. Like I said, as the season goes on, as we get closer and closer to March, as we get closer and closer to the draft season, it's going to be all that more important to, to get the inside knowledge so you can hold that over your friends' heads. So be sure to uh, tweet your questions at Jerry. Subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Until next week, I'm Tani Levitt signing off for Jerry Meyer, College Basketball's Assist King for the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter used to be that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus